Let us pray. O God, by your Spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The Old Testament reading today comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents, to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your town. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear a false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male, or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's second reading for us is from the second chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 13 through 22. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. 
The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The word of the Lord. Many, if not most, spiritual traditions warn against anger. Anger can provide fertile grounds for seeds of discontent, for anxiety, and for physical and emotional harm. Anger can be hurtful and dangerous. But when systems of injustice inflict abuse upon people and communities, anger as righteous indignation is appropriate and healthy and perhaps even necessary for survival. The business taking place in the temple needed to be done. The cattle, the sheep, the dove, they had to be purchased for proper sacrifices to be made. And the money, it needs to change hands too, to ensure worshipers have coins to offer that do not have the idolatrous image of Caesar on them. The business taking place in the temple is business that needs to be done. The problem is the location. Jesus gets angry. He's upset at legitimate business being done in God's house. The temple is sacred. It is where the Jewish people believe God dwells, which is why when Jesus walks into it to find merchants leveraging the people's desire for sacrifice to make a few quick bucks, he drives out the animals with a whip, turns over the tables, spills the money, and sets the doves free. The commodification of the sacred infuriates Jesus. The monetization of the holy angers him in the scriptures like nothing else does. Now, when I say commodification, I mean the action or process of treating something or someone as a mere commodity. Another word for it might be commercialization or monetization. People were coming to the temple to worship the living God, and they were being used by other people for profit and gain. This reminds me of the selling of indulgences in the medieval Catholic Church that the early reformers opposed so vehemently. At that time, people were told that forgiveness could be purchased by offering a certain amount of money as alms, as gifts to the church. In some cases, indulgences were even offered for forgiveness of sins not yet committed. Now that's a good deal at any price. The commodification of the sacred the monetization of the holy. This infuriates Jesus like nothing else in the Gospels. The temple of God, the house of God, is not a shopping mall or a bank. It's a sacred space that demands reverence and respect. It's a place set apart where one's actions, one's business, needs to reflect and project a deep and abiding reverence and respect for God. Vincent Donovan was a missionary in Africa who worked with the Maasai people. 
In one encounter, he described how the people were listening intently to him as he, the priest, taught them about the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. He described a sacrament to them as a physical encounter or an event where you experience grace or the transcendent or the holy. As he spoke, as he taught them, he could begin to tell that the people were not satisfied when he said there were only seven such sacraments, seven such moments. After a while, one of the elders finally raised his hands and said, Seven? I thought there would be 7,000 of such moments. In my estimation, anyway, one of the mistakes made by nearly every religion early on in its formation is the decision to make a clean split between the sacred and the profane. Following this decision, emphasis is placed on going to sacred spaces or creating sacred time or sacred traditions or sacred actions, which ends up resulting in the fact that only 2% of life is really sacred. The rest, the days we live, the lives we live, the people we see, the 98% of the rest of life is by default considered unsacred or unholy. I think this might be one of the reasons that most people struggle encountering or knowing God. It's not that they're insincere or irreverent. Some are, but most aren't. I think they've just been taught to look for God in just a few designated places. As Father Richard Rohr likes to teach, the correct distinction is never between the sacred and the profane. The correct distinction is between sacred and desecrated places, people, and things. And it's we alone who desecrate God's one incarnate word by our inability to see truthfully and to show reverence in all the places God chooses to dwell. Today's passage is fascinating, but one of the more interesting twists in the account is this decision Jesus makes to fasten a whip out of cords. Now, I've never made a whip out of cords, but I imagine it would take a little while. It would take at least a few minutes to construct a whip out of cords, which means that Jesus' anger here is not an anger driven by raw, unbridled emotion. He's upset, but he's calm and patient enough to take a few moments to bind a whip together. I wonder if this is why the people question his authority. I wonder if an emotional response by Jesus would have been less disconcerting to those who were gathered. We've all lost our temper. We know what that's like. But that's not what Jesus does here. He doesn't lose his temper at all. He focuses it and transforms it into a righteous and thoughtful anger. And that kind of focused anger can be really unsettling. Think about a parent who's mad at you but calm at the same time. It's terrifying. And so the people ask him, hey, excuse me, can you show us a sign that gives you the right to do what you're doing in this place? Now normally when asked for a sign, Jesus dismisses the request out of hand, but not today. 
He does not give them a sign right then and there like they want, but he does promise a sign will in time come. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again, he says. Now we now know that Jesus was not talking about the building they were standing in, not completely anyway. He was talking about his body. Post-resurrection, his body would become the new temple of God. The temple as a building may be dispensable, but God still needs a home. When I first read this passage and was trying to figure out what to preach on, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how we might, as people, treat the church as a marketplace. I was trying to figure out what legitimate business we might conduct within these walls that does not communicate a deep and abiding reverence and respect for God. That's where I started with this text, but the more time I spent with it, the more I realized that is not where the claim of this passage wants to take us today. The claim of this passage is that the sacred is not to be commodified or monetized. And there is nothing more sacred than the place where God, the living God, chooses to dwell. And post-resurrection and ascension, as Christ's body here on earth, we are that place now. We are the temple in which God chooses to dwell. God resides, not out there somewhere, God resides here with us, but also in us. Numbers, weapons, the sun, a swastika, fire, motorcycles, sports teams, logos, flags, birds, animals, religious symbols, song lyrics, names, area codes, obscenities. These are just some of the tattoos removed by the staff of Homeboy Ministries in Los Angeles. And each removal, each tattoo's removal is a significant, if not a sacred, act. When an ex-gang member asks to have a tattoo removed, they are radically reorienting their identity and dramatically resetting their life's purpose. Instead of their body being commodified and in a way desecrated, they want to honor their bodies and set it apart for a greater purpose now. They want to reclaim their body as a vehicle for love and compassion, not for violence and pain. As such, tattoo removal can be an outward symbol of an inner truth. Now, before Homeboy Ministries hired 12 doctors to perform over 4,000 tattoo removal procedures a year, before they had a staff that big, they were really selective about which tattoos they would take time to remove. With a limited staff, they only removed visible tattoos on the face, on the neck, and below the elbow. But over time, it became clear that as these ex-gang members moved towards health and integration, it became clear that they wanted, they needed to get their whole house, their whole body in order. They would come in and literally lift up their shirts, revealing detailed tattoos of their gang name or an intricate image or a detailed slogan of sim- or symbol of hatred. There was often so much color, so much detail on the tattoo that covered their chests that the staff tried to talk them out of getting the tattoo removed. I mean, the more complex the tattoo, the more expensive and painful the process. No one will see the tattoo, they would say. Just just keep your shirt on, for God's sakes. 
And in response, nearly ex, every ex-gang member would say something like this. I understand, but my kids, my kids will see it. My family will see it. I will see it. Homeboy Ministries now removes any tattoo a client is willing to endure the treatment to remove. One of the more troubling trends in our culture is the commodification or the monetization of the human body. We have turned the house of God into a money-making machine. Pornography, social media algorithms, human trafficking, the use of the body to sell all kinds of products. An argument could be made that the human body, the temple in which God now chooses to dwell, is the driving force of our economy. I'm not pointing this out to make anyone feel bad. I'm caught up in it too. I'm just amazed at how much we've accepted the commodification, the monetization, the objectification of that which the scriptures teach us is sacred. We are Christ's body here on earth. And yet we treat our bodies and the bodies of others like they were ATMs. And I wonder if we have done this, if we've accepted this reality, because we really don't believe, deep down, we really don't believe that this body, our body, is actually a place where God would want to, choose to dwell. Well, they are. Your body is more than a hanger for your clothing or a vehicle to move your head around. Your body is more than something that needs to be amended, covered up, or beautified. Your body is more than a sexual object or a source of sellable preferences and proclivities. Your body is the temple of the living God. Duke ethicist, ethicist Stanley Hauerwas argues that most Christians are a little bit too spiritual in their practice of their faith. Christianity, he writes, is not a set of beliefs or doctrines one believes in order to be a Christian. Christianity, he writes, is to have one's body shaped, one's habits determined in such a way that the worship of God is simply unavoidable. The only time Jesus gets angry, I mean really angry, in the gospel story, the only time he overturns tables, disrupts a marketplace, makes a whip of cords, is when he witnesses the sacred being commodified, when he sees his father's house turned into a marketplace at the expense of the very people who journeyed there to worship and get right with God. And the implications of this anger are profound if we let this truth settle in us. And so it's my prayer for you and for me that we would come to see our bodies and the bodies of others as places where transactions are replaced with transformation and where reverence and awe compel us to see the living God in ourselves and in one another. Amen.